What's going on, everybody? This is Steven, and I'm here with Heath, and you're listening to Tillman's Corner Sports Talk. we got a good show for y'all tonight. Thank you for, for listening wherever you are at in the United States. Um, thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe uh, to, to our channel. That way you'll know when we put a new episode out. You can check it out or email us at Tillman's Corner Sports Talk at gmail.com with any questions, any comments. If you have any fun facts for us, anything you want to hear us talk about, anything like that, uh, we'll do our best to include it in the show. Uh, speaking of emailing us, we had a guy, uh, Juan Betrez, give a shout out to him. He sent us in some questions. The NFL, we'll cover the NFL kind of toward the end of the show, but one of the questions kind of goes along. Uh, directly with our hot topic of the night. So we're going to get to that first thing here in a couple minutes. Heath, what's our hot topic for the night? Going on, everybody. The hot topic this week, if you've been watching anything with the sports, it is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, he's on the move. The Cleveland Browns traded for him. They're giving up three first-round picks, a third-round pick in 2023, and then a fourth-round pick in 2024. You know, when we did the show last week, we said the Browns were really out of the race. Yeah. Or towards the end of the week, they – you know, Deshaun Watson said they're out of the race. But then they came back, and it was kind of a surprise that he chose them. I think it's because they gave him – let's see, I got to wrote down. They gave him five years, $230 million guaranteed. That's the largest in NFL history with guaranteed money. And they gave him that for, so he would come to them. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money. And like you said, he I, I don't know what changed for him because he notified them, or I guess his people or the Texans or whatever notified them that – the Browns, you know, no thanks, you're out of the race. And then all of a sudden it comes out, uh, you know, breaking news, and Sean Watson agrees to trade to Browns. So not sure what happened, what changed for him. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, first question we talked about, Juan sent in some questions. One of the questions he asked due to this trade is, are the Browns for real with Watson if – he plays, and the if is a big part because, as we talked about in previous shows, he had some legal troubles that it was um, kind of dropped down to. I'm, I'm trying to get in the wording right, I think, and uh, he's not going to be indicted in like like federally, but there's still some civil suits out, so there is still some of that stuff to clear up. But are the Browns Heath for real if Watson plays? Well, like you said, I think the big word there is if. I personally believe that he'll – I think he's going to be suspended the first part of the season, maybe six games, six or eight games. But I actually think they are for real. Like I said in you know previous shows, man, they have probably one of the top offensive lines in the NFL, and they got two beasts of a running back in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They just got a Bama guy in Amari Cooper. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they got Miles Garrett, one of the top pass rushers. And then they got uh, – Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, he's calling the plays and stuff. He does a really good job. So I think they are legit. But, man, with all these trades that are really taking place right now in the NFL, the AFC is loaded. But if Deshaun Watson, if somebody told me right now that he's playing in every single game this season, I would pick them to win the AFC North and make it to the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's – and it's a big if whether he plays. For me, it's also a big if. Can he return to the form he was at? Because, I mean, a year off – from playing football that's now obviously I'm sure he was staying in shape he's probably still practicing and that kind of stuff but it's not practicing staying in shape it's a little different when you get in the game and you got those big fellas trying to knock your head off and you know maybe your timing's off and, and all this stuff so I think he'll get back to form it might take him a few games it might be you know kind of rough but like you said 
he doesn't have to do it all. He has a great offensive line. Just let the running backs take some of the load for a little bit. Great defense. I think they're going to be fine. I think, yeah, like they're going to, they're, they're very much so um, Super Bowl contenders, I believe, with this, uh, with this trade. So who do you think won this trade, the Texans or the Browns? Oh, by far the Browns. The Browns get – I don't think it's – I don't know if – I've never seen a guy so young in his prime. And I know he's got a bunch of – he's got 22 silver suits uh, against him from women. But I've never seen a quarterback, you know, this young in his prime be traded because it's unheard of because there's not that many guys out there that are really franchise quarterbacks. So, I think by far the Cleveland Browns won this trade. And the Texans, they get three first-round picks. But, honestly, I know what the Browns are thinking. They're thinking that, hey, we're going to be so good that those picks are going to be, you know, in the high 20s, maybe in the 30s. You know, so the value is kind of lower – so I think by far the Browns won this trade because they're trying to go all in to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, for me it was a wash only because they're in two different places. The Browns are ready to contend now. The Texans are not. So Browns are looking now. Texans are long term. Or Texans, excuse me, are long term. Um, he was gonna he was gonna leave either way. He wanted to leave. So instead of letting him sit around for another you know year not getting anything out of him as far as on the field and also not getting in anything out of him as far as draft picks and all that kind of thing. So I, for me, it's a wash. I would have liked to see the Texans try to get maybe a player um, instead of all draft picks. But, but you know, who knows? They might – we've seen teams take four or five draft picks and turn them and they negotiate, trade for this player, trade up, trade down, and it becomes like all this combined. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, so our first topic of the night, first main topic is what's going on right now as far as live sports, and it is March Madness. Uh, I definitely think that fits madness because that's exactly what it has been this uh, this past week th- through Thursday through through Sunday. It's been absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's been ridiculous, and I really hope – I hope everybody listened to last week's episode, but I really hope you didn't bet any money on what I said because if you did, you're probably not too happy with me and you're not too heavy with yourself. Man, it it, it was so depressing. I, I'm just going to tell you a quick story real quick. If you listen to last week's episode, you know that I picked Tennessee to go win the championship, and I'm in a couple different leagues, and I picked them – in all my leagues because, you know, I, they were hot coming in. I had a lot of confidence in them. So, Saturday night, they're playing Michigan, and me and my wife and my little boy, Nathan, we're at Buffalo Wild Wings, and the game is, is getting to the end of the second half, and Tennessee's got the lead. It's tied. It's, Nick, uh, you know, back and forth. And then I'm sitting there eating, and, you know, Michigan starts doing good, and I just hear somebody clapping. And I'm like, I'm like, who is clapping? It's every time Tennessee does something bad in Michigan. And my wife's like, oh, that's a guy back there with a Michigan shirt on clapping. I'm like, are you got to be kidding me? I'm over here about to cry because my bracket is destroyed. And, I I mean, it's embarrassing. And there's a Michigan fan in Mobile, Alabama, back there, Buffalo Wild Wings, clapping. You know, I'm just like, whatever. But that's what March Madness is about. It's about these kids, you know. We're not even going to get into Alabama. We're going to get into them a little later. But it's about these kids, you know, teams you've never even heard of. And they come out and they do, you know, great things. You know, it's about the season's over, right? So it doesn't matter what you did in the regular season. It's a new season. You got to win every game. If you lose, you're going home, and you got to put your best foot forward. And a lot of these kids, they're the top seeds. You know, that they got upset. They didn't do that. Yeah, it's and again, 
March Madness. And I emphasize madness for a reason, because a lot of people, I think you and me included, were saying Michigan shouldn't even be in the tournament. They shouldn't have even made it. It's ridiculous. Texas A&M got ripped off. Michigan made it. They shouldn't even be there. And here they are in the Sweet 16. They beat uh, – we both had Tennessee as our champion. They beat our champion. They won. I didn't I didn't think they'd get out of the first round. I thought they'd get beat by – who they playing in the first round? I'm trying Colorado to find their state. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Colorado State, so I thought Colorado State might beat them, but for sure I thought if they beat them, uh, that Tennessee would just blow them out. And and you know, man, it's it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So let's take a look at our brackets real quick. How uh, I went through and totaled up my in my first round. So in the first round of thirty two games, I got I picked twenty four of them correct. Twenty four. Let's see. I picked one, two, three. Five. Got the New Mexico one wrong. I picked eight wrong. So how many games were there? Was there thirty-two? Uh, yeah, thirty-two. Yeah, so thirty-two I games. Right too. And then in the Sweet Sixteen, I know you know in the Sweet Sixteen, I only got ten of those right. Like I said, because yeah. a couple of these guys decided not to show up. Yeah, I only got ten. Obviously Tennessee because I had them going all the way. Uh, Wisconsin, and that kind of leads us into our next uh, upsets. Man, this is. I feel like. Obviously, it's crazy every year. People get upset. But I don't know if last year or years past have been this many high seeds losing in the first two rounds. You talk about Kentucky in the first round, Wisconsin a three seed in the second round, um, Auburn a two seed in the second round. I'm trying to look at my bracket really fast here. Tennessee in the second round a three seed. So it's like Baylor a one seed losing in the second round. So it's like all these all these high seeds are just getting knocked out, and it's just – there's no way anybody has any perfect brackets anymore. Oh, no. After I think after the second day, there was only one perfect bracket left. And just looking at the teams you just said that got upset, Kentucky, I want to just throw something out here. Kentucky lose, loses to a team called St. Peter's. They're out of, I think, New York, the state of New York. Coach Cal, the coach of Kentucky, who you know a lot of people say he's one of the, he's one of the best coaches in college basketball. I'm not really seeing that. I think he's a good recruiter, a bad coach. But Coach Cal, just think about this: Coach Cal makes more money per year than the whole St. Peter's College sports department. Yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely nuts. And you're out there getting beat a two seed, getting beat by a 15 seed. I mean, it's like stuff like that in Baylor. You know, Baylor was down 25. They battled back. They tied it up, forced overtime, and then got upset. And then Tennessee, like we done said, man, don't get me started. Everybody was texting me Saturday night like, oh, what happened? You know, I, I can't go out there and play the games for the guys. And then my poor brother-in-law, you know, David, picked Wisconsin. They went to bed against Iowa State. And then Auburn. I mean, Auburn got absolutely ran out of the gym by Miami. Yeah, they – because we, talk, we talked about their guard play, right, that Auburn, they haven't been getting – getting good guard play that um, uh, Walker Kessler, Jabari Smith, one of the best players, if not the best in the country, is going to have to step up and carry the team on his back. They absolutely, I mean, I don't know if choked is even does justice to what, I mean, they, I'm looking at the stats here. So combined Walker Kessler, Jabari Smith, Auburn's two best players, three of 22 shoot three of 22 shooting for a combined between both of them, 12 points. That's, that's awful. Yeah, you can't have that from your two All-Americans. They got so bad. I know Walker Kessler got into foul trouble early in the game, but they got so bad they had to take him off the court. 
And I didn't get to watch a lot of the game, but I just went back and forth. And people had told me Miami was just so quick. They went with a four-guard lineup, and they just really ran Auburn out of the gym, like physically just out-sprinted them, out-hustled them to the ball. And it seemed like Auburn wasn't really ready to play, which I don't know how you cannot be ready to play in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's literally, if you're a college basketball player, that's what you're working towards all year. It doesn't matter who you beat in the regular season. If you're going and getting bounced in the first or second round in the NCAA tournament, you got to say it's a disappointing season if you're one of these top seeds like the Kentuckys, Baylors, Tennessees, and Auburns of the world. It's just dis- disappointing. But it's exciting for these upper seeds and the, the fans of those of those teams like the St. The St. Peters, the North Carolinas, the Iowa States, the Miamis, the Michigans. It's exciting for those people. They're not expecting to win, right? You're going there like, hey, okay, we're going to lose. It's okay. But then you win, you're like, whoa, what's up with that, you know? So it's exciting for everybody. It's a, it's a emotions are everywhere. That's why it's called March Madness. Yeah, it's pretty. It's funny you mentioned those stats about St. Peter's, and I think I was looking at some other statistics that gave about them. They have like what three thousand students at their college. That's like high schools down here, you know. Um, as far as um, they're really, really, really small college. Uh, really, really small. But um, so that you know. We talked about eight, the SEC was really high this year as far as high seeds and teams making it. And then we see through two rounds, only one team remains, and that's Arkansas. So it kind of makes me wonder, was the SEC overrated this year? Absolutely. They were so overrated. And that's why my bracket is looking atrocious because – all year long you heard, man, the SEC, you know, it's like the SEC is in football. The SEC is dominant. You know, Auburn, they can do it this year. Kentucky can do it. Tennessee can do it. Well, no, they can't. And honestly, the only reason I believe Arkansas is in the Sweet 16 is because New Mexico State upset UConn in the first round. So Arkansas got an easy, you know, pick out of the for the second round. And they're going to get bounced when they play Gonzaga. I got a feeling about that. And so the SEC, by far, I would say they were the most overrated co- conference going into March Madness. And it showed because all their teams, I think, let's see, I got wrote down, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, or, yeah, five five out of the six SEC, SEC teams got bounced in the first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, looking at my Final Four, I had two SEC. I had Tennessee and Auburn in the Final Four. And then uh, I'm I'm down to only one on my written bracket that we that we went over last last week. Only one team remains that I have in my final four. Yeah, I got two. I got Gonzaga. I had Gonzaga going in Kansas, and those two are looking pretty solid. You know, I, this is the last last thing we're talking about in this topic, but I I think it's absolutely up in the air. You know, next time we do another show, it'll be the final four, and. I, to me, it's crazy, but it's up in the air. I don't, I don't, I can't tell you who's going to win. You know, maybe you can go with a Gonzaga, <clears throat> a Kansas, you know, an Arizona, somebody like that. But, you know, there's really no telling. Uh, yeah. It's, and honestly, because even Gonzaga, because Memphis was a team I, I, I pointed out to watch as a sleeper that caused problems. And they almost made me look like a really smart guy because they, they, they had Gonzaga on the ropes. Um, if it wasn't for – I can't remember the guy's name, the one white guy, the big old, big old burly white dude that was like um, – Drew Timmy. He scored – I can't remember. What did you say? What was his name? Drew Timmy. Yeah. I mean, he scored – what was it, like 10 or 12 points in a, like on a 12-0 run or something like that all by himself. Um, 
But, yeah, I mean, Memphis had Gonzaga on the ropes. They lost by four. I thought they were going to make me look like a genius. But that's how it goes, I guess. Yeah, that's how it goes. I, I did pick some upsets. I picked LSU to get bounced in the first round. They did. I told you, I didn't pick North Carolina to beat Baylor, but I said watch out because I felt like Baylor could be one of those, you know, frauds this year. But <clears throat> it was a – it's been a crazy March Madness, and I expect it to stay crazy going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's really fun to watch, especially in a year, like you said, that we there's really no top dog that you're like, oh, they're, they've, they've got it. So it really could be, I think, it could be anybody in the – in a, I mean, sweet St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, so maybe their team you're like, now nah, they probably ain't going to win it all or make the Final Four. But, hey, you never know. I mean, it's called March Madness for a reason. So uh, the second topic is none other than the Clown Show, also known as the Alabama Basketball Program. Uh, man, I, oh, my goodness. I don't even know where to start. You know, we I didn't include Alabama in the list of upsets because – I, they, it just it wasn't an upset to me because I picked them to lose even before I knew if they were playing the Rutgers or Notre Dame. I picked them to lose no matter what because I had it's, it's horrible to say as an Alabama fan, but I had zero faith that they would come out and take care of business. Yeah, man, it being an Alabama fan, it's very frustrating right now. You know, you could. Losing to an 11 seed Notre Dame, who, if anybody with eyeballs was looking at the court, would easily say, like, wow, Alabama has way, way more talent. Absolutely. Than Notre Dame out there. Way. I mean, it's not even close. Notre Dame does not have anybody on their basketball team that's going to the NBA. And apparently Alabama's got a guy that's going to get drafted in the lottery in J.D. Davidson. So there is – Zero excuse from Alabama. I don't care if you say Javon Quinterly tore his ACL with less than four minutes to go to in the game. It's unexcusable that you get beat by Notre Dame. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Quinterly goes down less than four minutes into the game. He He's your best offensive player. He runs the offense. But still, you know, it, like you said, no, I don't think anybody, even Notre Dame fans, you can't. I don't think you can sit there with a straight face and say, "Oh yeah, Notre Dame's more talented or just as talented as Alabama. They're just as athletic." No, they're not. Uh, it's ridiculous, but it just goes to show: talent does not always win. Athleticism does not always win. What good coaching, well coached players, leaders executing correctly, a lot of times that will win over talent, especially in a one game series yeah i got some quotes right here i got one from our good friend b head he said hey there's too many athletes out there not enough basketball players and then charles the great charles barkley he played at auburn and he was great in the nba he said all these coaches are looking for is how fast you can run and how high you can jump he said some guys can jump over a building but they can't play basketball i mean and you think like well you know that's a that's a simple statement, but it's so true. All these people are caring about is like, hey man, this guy's super fast. Oh, he can hit his head on the rim. Well, that's good. Does he know how to dribble? Can he play basketball? You know, can he run the play? Does he remember the play? I yeah. mean, come on. And and that's what when you watch those two teams, it's like Notre Dame, they're easily 
overmatched in town. Easily. It's not even close. Yeah. But you got the stats right here. They shot 62% from the field and 53% from the three-point range. When Alabama – I got it right here. Alabama shot 40% from the field and 33% from three-point range. It's unacceptable. Yeah, they – I mean, they lose by 14 points. It's just – I mean, when you talk about they could jump through the roof. Darius Miles, he could probably win a lot of dunk contests. I mean, if you've seen him dunk just in a few games, his head's like at the rim. He's like looking at it when he's dunking it. You know, I level with the rim. But he can't shoot, can't dribble, can't drive, can't post up. So, I'm not sure what – I guess he's on the court for defense and rebounding. But he definitely is no offensive threat whatsoever. And that's, and that's a lot of other guys that are on the team. Uh, I, J.D. Davison. So, Quinterly goes out. It's time. It's Davison's time, right? He needs to step up. He needs to show why all these people are saying one and done, one and done, one and done. And I've been on him pretty hard, but I don't see it. It was his time to step up. And he he wasn't atrocious, but he sure wasn't good. He scored 11 points, but then he had five turnovers. And one of them, I can't remember the exact time. limit. It was like four minutes to go in the game maybe. Alabama just knocked down a three to pull within eight points. They go down the other end of the court. Notre Dame drives in. Jawan Gary gets a big block. Alabama's coming back the other way to try to get it even closer. And he attempts a pass from the right side of the court all the way to the left side with a defender standing right, like, within three yards of the guy he's trying to throw it to. And it's just an easy steal, back the other way, dunk, and it's back up to ten with a few minutes to go in the game. Yeah, to me, that was absolutely the crucial point of the game. Alabama could have cut it to six, but it was a boneheaded pass trying to, you know, you're going to the basket and you try to throw it, you know, cross court to a three-point shooter, and they just – they undercut the pass and take it. So, I, you know, if we're – you know, if you're blaming players, you know, you got to look at, you know, J.D. Davidson, like you said, he's projected to be a lottery draft pick. I don't really see it, but, you know, the experts do. Because, yeah. like I said, he can jump through the building. Ready? And he had, you know, five or six turnovers. And then Shackleford, you know, you got to look at him. He was the leading scorer for the team throughout the year. The man went four for 17 shooting in the game. He had 13 points and shot 23% from the field. You cannot do that. You can't expect to beat a team. When Quinterly goes out, you're, you know, your offensive leader, your point guard, the guy who gets you in and out of sets and can, you know, your best dribbler, your best guy that can get to the basket. When he goes out, you got to have other guys step up and, you know, sadly for Alabama, they didn't. And when I talk about Davis, I think a lot of his problems may have to do with the offensive system that, you know, Nate Oates runs. And I know we're going to get to it a little later. So I don't want to be too hard on the guy. But, man, I, it was a bad time for Alabama to not play any defense and yeah. not shoot the ball. Yeah, it was, it was all around bad game. Now, I will say, and I'm not one of those fans that say, Oh, bad officiating cost us the game. There were some really bad calls in that game. Um, Atrocious. Now, there, it was for Alabama, and obviously I'm focused more on Alabama because I'm an Alabama fan. I'm, there was calls both ways that could have either gone – that weren't called or that um, that were, were called and they shouldn't have been or, you know. But there were just some – specifically the one I'm thinking of is I was driving home and listening to it on the radio – and Alabama's uh, radio guy, uh, I can't remember what's uh, Chris 
I can't think of the guy's name, but so Jawan Gary goes for the steal and then he's going for the breakaway. They call a foul and they call it on Jawan Gary and he just, I mean, he's going ballistic, just yelling, talking about how horrible of a call it is. Well, I got home and I was like, well, I got to see this and see just how bad it is or is he just being biased, you know? So I recorded the game and I rewound it to the time that he's, that it, about when it happened and I watched it and I was like, Oh my, I mean, it, it really was bad. You know, the other player reached out to grab him to prevent him from getting a breakaway dunk and they call it, they call it on Jawan. It was horrible. There was another one, you know, Betty Aco got, was charged. The guy just lowered his shoulder into him, knocked him down. That didn't get called. Keon Ellis got, you know, undercut. His legs knocked out from under him when he was shooting a three. They didn't call that one. I believe Oates got a technical on that one. You know, he was just letting out some frustration from the whole game. Yeah, the the officiating wasn't great, but like you said, we're not gonna I mean, we're not gonna sit here and blame the officiated. You know, you don't get beat by what was it, fourteen? Yeah, yeah, you don't get yeah, beat it, by it fourteen. Wasn't and, at all. Yeah, and then blame the officials. Like you said, Nate Oates made a he got a technical, but you know, the game was basically over at that point. And Nate Oates, he made some comments after the game about uh, Quinterly, and he said Quinterly was the only player that showed up for a voluntary shoot-around the night before the game. How mind-blow. So you're telling me you have a the night before you play in the NCAA tournament, you have one guy on your team, one, that shows up to a voluntary shoot-around the night before the game? To me, it shows that the team quit. They quit on Nate Oates. They had no effort. There was no leadership on that team, and they absolutely quit on Nate Oates. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I wish someone, uh, and maybe they did. I need to. I'm trying. I, I'll Google and try to find more details because I really wish he would elaborate, or maybe some other players would come out and say what. Well, because I, I mean, I want to know more details. Like, what could you possibly say, or what could your excuse possibly be? for not going. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, you know, we were texting and out in our group message about if you, if that's the case, like if you are, and, and I don't think NATO's would lie about his players, you know, so it has to be true. And if it is, if you don't even want to show up for a voluntary shoot around the night before a game, especially in the tournament where you're trying to go win a championship, then all, you need to either transfer or go to the draft. If you think you're good enough to go to the draft, get your butt out or transfer and go somewhere else where they'll let you just sit around and be lazy and not try. Um, because that's – I mean, that's that's really – that's pathetic. Hey, if you think – you know what? If you don't think you need a voluntary shoot-around, well, here's a newsflash. You do because you wouldn't have got blasted by 14 points by Notre Dame. So how about – like you said, Nate Oates, you know, he could be lying. We do need more details, but we're just going off the man's word. I don't know why he would lie <clears throat> on his players. I, I mean, I don't know why he would do that, but we're just taking him at his word. And if what he's saying is true, I agree with you 100%, 1,000%, man. Every single – you don't need to come back because that shows, for one, you don't want to be there. You don't respect Nate Oates. You don't respect your teammates. And you don't respect yourself because what are you even doing? Literally, yeah, it's, 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 I don't even know. I mean, 
Oh, if it fires me up so much, I'm like, I'm not even, I mean, if I had a full ride, I'm playing at the University of Alabama, I'm in a tournament, chance to win a championship. It's like, just your, if you're competitive at all, what good, I mean, what good reason is there for not going? It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, and honestly, I'm not for the whole, overlooking the whole season, Looking at it, you know, Nate Oates called it a successful season. I think he's just trying to, you know, be positive. I don't think it was a, a successful season at all. I don't know anybody that would say it was, you know. Uh, but looking over the whole season, I think, me personally, I think Nate Oates did a horrible job this season. And this is why. Not because he couldn't get his players motivated. Yes, it is the coach's job to motivate but you could get Nick Saban who is known for just being a motivator of motivators like that's the guy that motivates people on top of being a great coach but you could get Nick Saban in there to talk to those guys every single game but at the end of the day they have to be aggressive they have to bring the intensity they have to want to win and get out there and play their butts off so I don't blame Nate Oates for that this is what I blame him for I can't remember which episode it was. You said you gave a quote, and it was uh, some co- some I can't remember exactly, but some coaches would rather lose their way than win someone else's way, and that is perfect for this season because what does Nate like to do? His offense, even at Buffalo, he wants to shoot the three. He's an analytics guy. He wants to play fast. He wants to shoot the three. That's how you win because that's what the statistics say, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Statistics don't mean anything if you're not winning a game. If you're eighth in the country for attempted threes per game, but you rank 297th in a, a, uh, making them field goal percentage, three-point per- percentage per game, it's not working. And he showed no ability to adjust at a mid-range game because their whole offense is a three or a layup or dunk. That's it. There's no mid-range game. They didn't adjust. They didn't change anything all season long. They just kept throwing up threes, even though they're one of the worst teams in the country at it. Yeah, I think what you said, you know, is spot on, man. I I think as a head coach, so this is what I think you need to do. At the beginning of each season, you know, especially in basketball, you know, you play your first couple games, and then you got to sit back as a coach and a coach and staff, and you got to say, okay, what do my guys do well? Last year, his guys, they shot great. They all shot good. John Petty, Shackelford, Quinterly, you know, Herb Jones was a great defender. Alex Reese was a, you know, a stretch five. He could knock it down great. And Josh Primo, he could shoot it too. He was a great defender. That's what that team did great. And Alabama was very successful last year. They went to the Sweet 16. They were very successful. Every team is different. They did not have that kind of team for his philosophy, just bonehead, just keep shooting threes. Keep shooting threes. It'll pay off. No, it won't pay off. It won't pay off because they cannot make them. So it does nothing. It makes your defense terrible because you can never score. You're just going out there and jacking them up the first 10 seconds. Like you said, all he wants to do, shoot threes, get to the lane, get get a layup, or get fouled. And you know what? And, you know, we're hard on Nate Oates, you know, but I think it's rightly so, right? Because, listen, you're a good coach, but you're not this savant, like, brilliant guy. Nobody else in college basketball is doing that. I know I've watched pretty much all these March Madness games, most of them. I've watched a lot of games. And 
every single game, these teams are shooting the mid-range. It's an easy shot. If you've got a dominant player, you got a little guy on him, hey, just take him in the post, you know, shoot a little mid-range shot. It's not hard. But that's just not what Nate Oates wants to do. He wants to win his way. And guess what? And another thing you said, he's got to step up, you know, coming up next year. It'll be his fourth year. He has got to step up. And I want to say, you know, the mentality – when I say this team quit on him, I think they really did quit on him. You know, I was watching them earlier in the season and when, when they were going through their rough patch, and it made no sense to me. He would have – like, so he would have such a short fuse with the players, they would make one mistake. I'm talking one mistake, you know, miss a rebound, get a – do a bad defensive assignment, turn the ball over, and he would just yank them out. Come on, you're coming out, you're sitting on the bench. And, you know, that – it causes the players to lose confidence in their self when you don't let them, you know, play through stuff, when you're just like, oh, hey, get out. You know, I'm yanking you out. You made one mistake, go sit down. And I honestly think they quit on him. That's what that tells me about his comments earlier about the voluntary shoot-around. I think they quit on him, and I, I didn't see any improvement from his players from last year to this year. And like you said, this is his fourth year. He needs to get a new offensive system if his team doesn't fit the system he wants to run. You know what? You make a system that fits your guys. It's not diff like it's really it's it's not hard like it's not complicated. Ever since sports have started, that's what the teams that win championships. That's what the coaches got to do. You know, if you got a team that is good at running the football, why are you going to throw the ball? Just run it. It's not hard. Yeah, that's adapt. That's why Nick Saban is the goat. Or even let's say maybe you don't consider him the goat. Yet he's one of the top coaches ever in college football because he adapts. You know, some some teams, like you said, you run the ball more than you throw, you play action, you use his legs, roll out. Well, guess what? Mac didn't do that, so they didn't have rollouts. They didn't have this. They didn't have quarterback draw, quarterback run option. It was a sit in the pocket, and he could sling the ball. You know, so adapt. That's what you have to do. So you mentioned he's, he's going on his fourth year. At Alabama. Avery Johnson was at Alabama for four seasons. Um, so this is kind of a two-part. Will Nate Oates be Avery Johnson 2.0? And then also, if after next year he hasn't – I'm not saying win a championship, but if next year is just as disappointing as this year, is not going to say fired, but maybe how hot will his seat be? Well, I think you got to – Every single person, and I'm not a booster at Alabama, but everybody's got to look, and the AD's got to look. What do you want your program to be? Because I've heard a lot of – listen to the radio. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, Alabama hadn't been to back-to-back NCAA tournaments in 15 years. Is that what you strive your program to be? Do you strive your program just to get to the NCAA tournament and bounce in the first round? Well, you know, 64 teams make it to the tournament. So if you strive for your program to be, hey, you know what, let's just get to the tournament. It doesn't matter what happens. It don't matter if we get bounced in the first round yeah. by an 11 seed Notre Dame that shouldn't even be there. Hey, as long as you get there, if that's what you – you know, you strive your program to be, you know what? And, hey, I don't know why his seat would be hot, but if you're if you're like me and you're a passionate Alabama fan and you see your team, I'm not telling you that you got to make it to the Final Four or the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight every single year. But you know what? you got to beat these teams that you're supposed to beat. You are way more talented than Notre Dame. You should have beat Notre Dame. If you're playing Gonzaga, it's okay to lose. If they played Gonzaga and they lost, I'd have been like, okay, I understand. If they played Duke and lost, I'd have been like, I understand. 
Kentucky, I understand. Kansas, I understand. You're supposed to lose to those teams. They're equally talented, so, you know, it's a wash. But you're not supposed to lose to these cornbread teams that, you know, you should not lose to in Notre Dame. Yeah. You just shouldn't. And like I said, if his team, if the players, he's he's bringing the third, third-rated recruiting class, he's got yeah, that yeah. coming. I think he's showing – he may be like a Coach Cal, be a great recruiter and not a good coach or developer. So his, his guys, need they need to show improvement. If I was the AD, I would say your guys need to show improvement. You need to get a new offensive system, one that fits your players, and you need to really, you know, get your guys to buy in. And I know they do that hard hat. He has the hard hat. He gives all those, the students hard hats to wear to the games and stuff. Well, his team needs to get some hard hats on and, you know, play hard. Yeah, they and again, he's done a little bit better than Avery Johnson. Let's, I'm looking at four seasons at Alabama. Avery Johnson was 75 and 62. Nate Oates through three seasons, uh, 61 and 35. So obviously they didn't have as long as a season, like uh, the 20 because of COVID and all that stuff. So the uh, the losses and whatnot is a little uh, different, way off. But you know he he. Avery Johnson got some good play. Now, I don't think he ever got a number three uh, class in the nation coming in, but he got some good players. He got some players in there, some five-star. He got some four-star. He got players that could play, but he never did anything with them. And so I'm really hoping he can turn it around. And it's not like in football, right? In football, you have 22 guys that start offense, defense, and then you're not including special teams. You need quality backups. So it takes several recruiting cycles. I'd say maybe three to four years to get your players in there, get the system going, and then you can really judge a coach in football in maybe three, four, even five years. In basketball, you start five guys. What is there, 13 guys on the roster in basketball? I think it is, something like that. So it doesn't take that long, and especially – if you're getting in top recruits, they're leaving after one or two years anyway. So it's like, you know, you got to keep it going. So a perfect example, I, I want to say I was reading, I, I think it's Iowa State was two and 22 last year. Two and 22. And then look at them. They're, uh, I'm trying to see, they didn't get, did they get beat? No, they're in the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16. So they go from two and 22 last year, two wins to this year, one year later. They're in the Sweet 16. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen all the time, but it just goes to show you how how quickly you can turn a program around. So, I hope I hope he gets it done. I think, you know, I, obviously, I don't know him personally, but he seems to be, you know, pretty good person. Um, so, we'll see. I hope he can get it turned around. Uh, so, moving on to our last topic is the NFL. There's so much that's happened. Um, with trades and free agent signings and all this stuff. Um, so, NFL is our last title. What you got, Heath? Oh, uh, let's see. The Alabama guys, O.J. Howard, he signed with the Bills. And it looks like Anthony Avery, he signed with the Raiders. Those are two Bama guys. Those are good pickups. And we got right here Julio Jones. He got released by the Tennessee Titans. I know there's a bunch of teams lining up. I hear things, you know, some people are saying that, Tom Brady reached out to Julio trying to get him to come down to Tampa, trying to go for a Super Bowl. I really hope Julio lands with a contender because I would love to see him win a Super Bowl. I still think he's got some, you know, good play left in him because he's a freak. You know, Julio is one of the top receivers, I think, all time in the NFL, and I think he's got a lot, you know, left in the tank. So I hope he lands with a contender and a really good quarterback. 
Yeah, I hope so. I, his problem, he, he just couldn't the, the past year with the Falcons or last his last season, excuse me, with the Falcons, and then even last year with the Titans, he just went through some injuries, so he wasn't on the field the whole season. And kind of even when he was on the field, he might have had he was some, limited some games because of it. So I hope he can if he can stay healthy for a whole season. You know, we'll see. As far as I'm excited for OJ, you know. If everybody remembers OJ, with especially with the Clemson game where he just torched them, um, he's big tight end, can run. You know, he just seems – I don't know if he just didn't have a good opportunity or maybe he didn't make the most. Hopefully a change of scenery will, will jumpstart him and get him going. He can have a uh, – you know, have a great season in Buffalo, and we'll see what work, what happens. Uh, but next thing, so Matt Ryan was traded to the Colts. Matt Ryan been the quarterback of the Falcons for, I mean, forever, it seems like. Um, traded to the Colts. They get, I think it was a third-round pick, I want to say, they gave up to get him. Yeah. Uh, so gave up a third-round pick. Uh, I think Matt Ryan still has <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Still has a few good years, you know. He was—he's not prime Matt Ryan, but he's—he wasn't horrible, you know. He was on a really bad Falcons team. Um, was uh, it, the games that I watched, he was getting—I'm like demolished every single play. So he goes to the Colts, where they have a great offensive line, a great running back to take some pressure off of him, a really good defense. So uh, getting into, we mentioned Juan sending some questions for us. One of the questions he had was. Does Matt Ryan make the Colts a contender? I do not think that he does. And I think the Colts are really close. I think he makes them way better than they were last year with Carson Wentz or even better than they were the year before that with Phillip Rivers. But I think they're close, but I think they need one or two more weapons at receiver. They have one the best offensive line. I think the best offensive line in the NFL. They got one of the top three backs in the NFL and Jonathan Taylor. Their defense is great. I just think – Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman Jr. is their best receiver out wide, and I don't think he's a true number one. So I think they need one or two more weapons, and they may try to draft one, you know, draft a receiver in this upcoming NFL draft. And I think that could help them and maybe set them apart. But man, the AFC is so loaded, and I really just don't think that Matt Ryan will set the Colts, you know, on top. Yeah, they need to get a few more weapons for him. I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't know if they'll how far they'll make it, they'll make the Super Bowl. Obviously, he's an upgrade over Carson Wentz. Like you said, the AFC is just so loaded. Uh, another team in the AFC, the defense just got stacked even more. Chandler Jones from the Cardinals, who is a, you know, a sack artist, just, you know, pressures the quarterback so much, puts so much pressure. He is going to pair up with Mason – or is Mason Crosby – no, no, I'm sorry. Mason Crosby is a kicker. Um, Max. Max Crosby. Excuse me. Thank you. He's going to pair up with Max Crosby on the Raiders. So, another question from Juan. Is the Super Bowl champ in the AFC West? Look, I got to wrote down. There is a very good possibility that the champ, the Super Bowl champ, comes out of the AFC West – I think the AFC West by far in the NFL, and that's a lot to say. And there's a, I got a bunch of reasons why I think they're the best. You know, the, the teams real quick are the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos. And we're, we're just going to – I'm just going to break them down. But, man, the, it, that is such a hard question. That's probably that – is, that is a great question, man. The AFC is so loaded. So, if you truly make it out of the AFC, you're going to have to go through some wars, man. 
But right now, if I had to pick a team to go out of the AFC to make it to the Super Bowl, I'm going with the Bills right now. But, man, the AFC West is so loaded. I think the Chiefs are great. You know, they got Mahomes. They got Travis, they got Travis Kelsey. They got Tyreek Hill. But I think a big thing that's going, you know, onto the radar, they're losing the Honey Badger, Tyran Matthew, on that defense. And the defense wasn't great to begin with, as we saw them get beat by the Bengals. So I think that could hurt them a lot in the end. And then you got the Raiders. Like you said, they signed Chandler Jones, and then they made a huge, a monster trade for Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the NFL, which is unheard of that you trade the best receiver in the NFL. makes no sense. And the Packers got back a first and a second round for him. But the Raiders, they paired Devontae Adams with the great slot, Hunter Renfro, who dominated Alabama for years. And then you got a good uh, tight end and a waller. But the reason I don't think the Raiders are going to really go really far in the uh, in the playoffs is because of that defense. I think adding Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, that's great for your pass rush, but I think their back end has a lot of questions, and they need to really address that in the NFL draft, And which is going to be hard because you just lost your first two you know, draft picks because you gave them to the Packers. Yeah, I guess they're, they're planning on just outscoring everyone um, and, and hoping Max Crosby and, and, and Chandler Jones can make a couple sacks, you know, help them win the game. But, yeah, I, it's a really good chance that the Super Bowl um, champ is in the AFC West. Like you said, the Chiefs, they already have weapons. Kelsey, you mentioned, Tyreek Hill, McCall Harmon. And they added Juju Smith-Schuster from the from the Steelers. They signed him. So, uh, he'll – He'll be he'll be good on that team because there's nobody. I mean, everybody's worried about all these other receivers. I think he he could have a big year. The Chargers, you know, they were already good last year, good offense, and then they they uh, they traded for Khalil Mack to to beef up that defense even more. Uh, and then, and then the Broncos, you know, the Broncos are a team kind of like the Colts, good quarterback or excuse me, good defense, had some good running back play. Good offensive line. Now, what the Broncos have that the Colts don't have right now, skill players. They have really good skill players: Cortland Sutton, uh, Tana Patrick, Ju- uh, excuse me, Jerry Judy, Alabama guy. And it it really does seem like the Broncos more so more so than the Colts was just missing a quarterback, and they got it. And Russell Wilson. So we'll see how that works out for them. Yeah, I want to I want to stay on this question real quick because it's like I said, it's a great question. And the Chargers, they have you know the great Justin Herbert. I think he's on the rise. Could be a superstar, like you said. They added J.C. Jackson and Miles or Khalil Mack to their defense, so that'll be good. But I think the best team in that division will be the Denver Broncos. They made a home run trade to get Russell Wilson, who is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. The Broncos defense is great, and I think what they do. If I had to pick a team to come out of the AFC West to win the Super Bowl, I would say the Broncos because what works in the playoffs when it's cold is the running game. They got a great running game with Javante Williams, and then you compound that with Russell Wilson, a great play action, can get out of harm's way. And then they have a phenomenal defense led, you know, by – they just got Randy Gregory from the Cowboys, and then you got Pat Sertain, the great cornerback that just came from Alabama, to make that defense really great. And I think the Broncos for sure – could win the Super Bowl. If I had to pick somebody to come out of that division, I'd pick probably the Broncos, but I still think the Bills will win the AFC. I think the signing of Von Miller, who actually came from the Broncos, is going to set them over the top because they already had a good defense. I think Josh Allen is the next great quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, they uh, 
obviously the Bills, um, the the Rams, the, you know, they're going to still be talented next year. They're going to be good. Uh, the Bengals, you know, they haven't had any huge signings, but when you look at their team, you know, they had a horrible offensive line. Um, but they signed, I want to say it's three offensive linemen this offseason and free agency, and three of them that were like, you know, good quality starters. So, over half their offensive line are going to be new starters that were good uh, on their previous teams. So they're protecting Joe Burrow, uh, you know, so watch out for the Bengals. You know, like I said, not big signings that everybody that are like Devontae Adams that everybody's paying attention to or Russell Wilson, but they're protecting Joe Burrow, giving him more time. So they can be dangerous again next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, dude, the AFC's loaded. You got we didn't even mention Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. You got the Rams. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the Packers, I think they take a huge step off with Devontae Adams and you got the Bucks. Man, they're just so loaded. And we're gonna go to another question, man. These are phenomenal questions. We really appreciate it. Uh he asked, he said, Are the QBs asking for too much money, therefore not being able to have their team compete? What do you think? <sighs> That's a hard one because I think yeah, and for if Maybe if you're listening, you don't know. So in the NFL, you can't just – there's a salary cap. There's only so much money you have to spend each year and to, to, to pay players. So it's not like you can just, hey, we have an infinite amount of money, an infinite you know limit that we can just give all these people to get all these great players. So if a quarterback takes – is given a whole lot of money each year that kind of restricts them, a team going out and getting a star wide receiver or two star wide receivers or a great tight end, great offensive lineman, great running back to support their, you know, you know, multimillionaire getting paid all this money a year quarterback. So I think, yeah, um, it's, if your goal is to make as much money as you can, then make as much money as you can and don't worry about winning. Um, but if you want to be competitive and win Super Bowls, then, yeah, you might have to be like, hey, I'll take less money so that we can get these players to surround me with so that it makes my job easier, it makes us better as a team, and we can go win a lot of Super Bowls or at least win a lot of games and compete for Super Bowls. Yeah, I think the answer is absolutely yes. And you look back, you look at Tom Brady. He won three Super Bowls on his rookie, you know, contract because you can spend more money on these other players to help this quarterback. And then he went 10 years, and then he won, you know, three more. And people was like, well, you, you know, Tom Brady. Tom, Tom Brady, he never took a lot of money at quarterback because his wife makes so much money, so he really didn't need the money. You yeah. know, he took way <laughs> under what he needed. And then you look at Russell Wilson. You know, he won – he went one or two Super Bowls. I think he won one. He, they lost. They threw the pick in the end zone. Yeah, I think they just beat the Broncos. I believe. Yeah. Okay, so he won one and lost one, but that was on his rookie contract. And then when he got paid, they had to get rid of a lot of good people, and it hurt him. You look at the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. He was on his rookie contract, so it's just it helps you when you have a really good rookie quarterback, and that's why I think the Chargers are going all in with Justin Herbert, and then you got Joe Burrow. When you have a good rookie quarter, uh, I say a rookie quarterback, a quarterback on a rookie contract, which means they don't really make a lot of money and take up a lot of money towards the cap. I think it helps you because you can put so many good players around them. And then when you actually have to pay that quarterback, you know, you got to get rid of a lot of guys. I mean, look at the Cowboys. They paid Dak Prescott. So what happened? They had to get rid of 
Amari Cooper because he yep. made too much money. They had to, Demarcus Lawrence had to take a pay cut. They had to get rid of Randy Gregory. They couldn't afford him. And Lyle Collins, they just had to get rid of him because the quarterback just takes up so much of the cap. So I think absolutely when you ask that question, does it hurt? Aaron Rodgers, let me just, this is the last thing. Aaron Rodgers, he just got a ton of money. And guess what happened? They couldn't pay Devontae Adams. Yeah. I truly believe that. They, 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 so they had to get rid of him. So, yeah, I think it hurts. Yeah, it's, it's, it kind of makes you wonder. He's talking about these teams winning on the rookie um, um, contracts so they can surround. It's like you wonder what the Patriots are doing. They got, you know, they got Mac Jones on his rookie contract, and we're, we're sitting here what, because obviously we're curious. We, we follow the Patriots because, you know, we hope our Alabama guys do, do well. And it's like they haven't signed any, I don't think any receivers, any offensive players whatsoever. So it's like, what are they doing? But, you know, not to get too much into that. So the last question, we'll move uh, to the last one, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so who will be the first quarterback drafted, and which team will draft him? This is – man, this is probably the hardest, honestly, the hardest question that he asked. And I got a couple guys here. I think uh, Malik Willis. If I had to say, I would say Malik Willis. I like him the best coming out of this draft. I hear he's super smart, a really high-character guy. He can throw the ball a mile, and he's really athletic, can get out of hard way and run. I got the Falcons taking him at eight. They just got rid of Matt Ryan. They got Marcus Mariota to be their quarterback. And, honestly, Marcus Mariota, he's not the answer at quarterback. He's a bridge quarterback. So, I got him going to the Falcons. I could see a sleeper team, the Panthers, they pick at six. I could see them taking somebody, maybe maybe Kenny Pickett or something. And then you got the Seahawks who traded what Russell Wilson and got the Broncos ninth pick in the draft. Maybe they get somebody, but a lot of I think a lot of this depends on Baker Mayfield because he's going to get traded. I think he'll get traded to one of these teams, and whoever he doesn't get traded to, uh, I think they'll take a quarterback. And I, I would take Malik Willis if it was me personally, but I know a lot of people like maybe Kenny Pickett. I know the kid from Cincinnati, uh, Desmond Ritter. I, I, I've heard a lot of things about him. It's yeah. kind of surpri- well, not surprising, but a lot of NFL scouts love the guy. So maybe him, but I think Malik Willis if it was me. Yeah, and again, a lot of this can change because people trading up or, like you said, Baker Mayfield could get traded to one of these teams and they think he's good enough so they don't draft the quarterback. So a lot can change between now and the draft. Shoot it, we could we could publish this episode and then tomorrow Baker Mayfield goes to the Panthers or, you know, so who knows. But, uh, yeah, I mean – I can see the Panthers. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I feel like a Panthers would be a Kenny Pickett fit. Yeah, for some reason. I don't see. I mean, maybe not. I mean, um, but to me, I feel like the Panthers are a, a Kenny Pickett fit. Uh, I can see them taking him. Like you said, the Falcons. I don't know how confident they are, Mariota, if he's just a bridge quarterback. If they're going to draft somebody, um, the Seahawks. You know, they have a young guy that they traded for. In the in the Broncos trade, they have Drew Locke, um, but I think I'm gonna say if I had to, you know, you sitting here telling me I have to pick, I'm gonna say the Panthers picking Kenny Pickett at six because I don't think any of these quarterbacks. There's nobody in this draft that's like top tier that you're like, oh yeah, he's starter year one, he's gonna be great. Um, but as we see every year in the draft, it always seems like somebody reaches for a quarterback because it's the most important position in football. So I'm going to say the Panthers are going to reach a little bit and take Kenny Pickett. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really solid choice. And the, really, the last thing I got is if for some reason uh, Malik Willis does slide, 
I think the Steelers may trade up or they could take him at 20. I think he would fit there. They got they brought in Mitch Trubisky. I think he could be a bridge quarterback, let Malik Willis sit for a year, you know, learn the playbook, learn different things. And then I think he could be, you know, the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. But uh, you got anything else, Stephen? No, that's, uh, that's about it. All right, man. Hey, we really appreciate these questions, dude, and everything. And we appreciate everybody that took time out of their day or afternoon or whatever, whatever time you're listening to, to listen to us. We really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, we're passionate about this. Don't forget to subscribe to our page so you know when a new episode drops or comes out. And uh, interact with us. You know, shoot us an email at TillmansCornerSportsTalk at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, text us, call us. It doesn't matter. You know, we love to answer questions. We love to get your feedback, something you're passionate about. And we really hope everybody enjoyed this episode, and we can't wait till next week. Thank you.